folks. Welcome to the Man Overseas podcast. I'm glad you're here. If you're listening right now on manoverseas.com, that's great. I'm glad you're here. I also want to let you know that you have the option of listening on iTunes. So whichever way you prefer to listen is good with me. Just hope that you enjoy the show and share it with your friends if you like it. Give us a rating on iTunes. So on the Man Overseas podcast, we talk about the journey to financial independence, which involves investing, um, especially in yourself. It's called Man Overseas because when I quote unquote retired in my early 30s, I started traveling the world. And I travel a lot, <laughs> um, in part because I'm a voracious learner and I just want to learn about the world. And another part of that is just being curious. My curiosities are insatiable. Um, and because of that, our conversations on the podcast sometimes deviate from financial independence and investing, especially when I have a guest of the caliber that I do today. He's a sharp young attorney. Actually, he's an attorney by day and the founder of Solo, solopreneur grind by night. His name is Josh Shacknow, and he is so good at what he does that if I had a buddy that was starting a business, I would say start to call Josh or, or message Josh because um, he knows a lot about starting businesses. He's been through the ups and downs, and um, he's very generous in sharing all that he knows. And um, I consider Josh a friend because we've had so many great conversations. <laughs> uh, we met through the internet. The internet is good for that. But we've had so many great conversations that I consider him a friend now. That's the crazy thing about the web, right? I, I've found that it makes distant friends closer. Um, but the unfortunate flip side of that is that too often social media and, and the internet makes close friends distant. It's what I found. So we're not going to get into that. We're, we've got a positive, uplifting show for you today. Let me welcome Josh Shack now to the show. Josh, welcome to the Man Overseas Podcast, buddy. How are you? Thanks, Brad. I'm doing great. I'm really honored and humbled to be on, and that was a, a very humbling introduction, so I hope I can live up to it. <laughs> no pressure. Um, I'm delighted to have you. We always have great discussions, as I said, and I suspect that today will be no different. Um, before we get into it, as you know, I'm in uh, Oaxaca, Mexico. If you follow me on Instagram, which I know you do. Um, I post a lot of stories from Oaxaca, and it is April 15th today at the time of recording, and this won't air for a few weeks, but um, there are no televisions in our Airbnb, <laughs> and um, in fact, the only TVs that I've seen around town, just passing by restaurants and bars, they've had only soccer on the television. Was there some sort of golf tournament yesterday that, uh, that happened up north of here? Yeah, I, I'd say there was a pretty pretty historical ending to a pretty big golf tournament. I'm actually not a TV watcher, but I came home right at the point where Tiger was finishing the 16th hole. My roommate was watching it. And I'm actually glad that he was because I'm a golfer. I'm a fan of golf. I don't watch it very much, but man, to, to see Tiger win that and, and the reaction on 18 when it finished, it was, it was a historical moment in golf and, and sporting history. I mean, whether you like the guy or not, it was pretty cool to watch. You get some of the, the shivers going, and uh, I, I came home at the right time. I was really happy about that. That's so cool. Yeah, I'm not the biggest Tiger Woods fan. And even Michael Jordan like wasn't my favorite player when he played. But I am a fan of greatness and a big fan of sports in general. And mm -hmm. I don't mean in the sense of like go Astros. I mean like what sports can do for people how it inspires people and the lessons that it teaches. 
you know, how it brings people together and gives, gives you something to talk about like we're doing now. I mean, there's mm-hmm. just much upside to playing sports and getting kids involved in sports. Did you play sports growing up? I played a ton of sports growing up, uh, Brad. I played baseball competitively growing up. I played football competitively growing up. I played basketball for a little bit. I played ice. I mean, I live in Canada. So naturally, I played ice hockey until I was around 13, 14. And then I ended up giving that up because I was playing the other ones a little bit more competitively. I've, I've golfed my whole life. Not competitively, but my parents always golfed and brought me around, and I still do with buddies up here. We don't have as many months that are warm to golf up in Canada, but we make use of it. And uh, it's funny, I just had on my podcast someone you know through a friend, Carson Lee, and we were talking a lot about sports and competition and how competitive sports can be so important and so, so related to entrepreneurship. Like, there's so many kind of similar traits and, and work habits and, and good lessons you can take from both and, and apply to one and the other. So I, I've been lucky. I'm really happy. I played so much competitive sports growing up. I still play sports and, and I can't speak highly enough of, of what it does. What, what about you? I agree with everything you just said. <laughs> yeah, there's so <laughs> many work habits that you learn and resilience and how to be a good teammate um, mm-hmm. God, yeah, sports is was everything to me growing up, and a lot of times you don't realize until after the fact just how much you were benefiting throughout that entire time. Absolutely. I mean, you look at a guy like Tiger, again, you can love him or hate him, but the guy won the biggest tournament of the year 21 years apart. I think they said he won it in 97, and he just won 22 years, I guess, now is, is 2019. Yeah. And at his age... And having gone through the things that he went through, not just physically, but, you know, emotionally and, and relationships and stuff like that, you, you can't deny that what he did was absolutely unbelievable. And the work that must have gone in, the preparation, the practice, the training, you just can't deny what must have gone into that behind the scenes that none of us will ever know, see, or, or fully appreciate. That is so well said. It reminds me, I read something last night. I'm going to read it. It says... Um, this is referring to Tiger. It said, he had it all, everything, until he didn't. And the fall mm-hmm. was not a small one. It was documented everywhere. All his sins, and there were plenty for the world to see. Whispers, finger pointing, head shaking, headlines. Slowly, with almost nobody watching and even less believing, he started coming back. An injury almost ended the comeback before it even started. He persevered through that as well. Today, with the world watching, he does it. A generation who years ago sat with their dads watching Tiger win, sat with their own kids, and now said, watch this. His children, who watched it all unfold over the last decade with their own parts in the story, are waiting for him just off the 18th green. The mom who watched her son have it all and then lose it all is waiting too. She never left, by the way. Mamas almost never do. The story isn't perfect. They never are. We never are, but it's a heck of a good one. Watch closely, kids. Being great is one thing. Being great after falling out of grace takes twice as much work and 10 times as much courage. That's the good stuff in life. That's why a bunch of old dudes got tears in their eyes today. (laughs) How about that? It's pretty powerful. That's a good one. Yeah, that sums it up pretty well. Yeah. I mean, it seems the people who inspire us the most are those who have known great suffering. Would you agree? 
Yeah, because you can't achieve something that great without going through some hardships, right? I mean, that's what makes the peaks that much higher is when the valley is lower. If, if you look at it kind of like relatively speaking and, and the journey that people go through, it's when you have more to overcome, there's more to gain, there's more to, you know, appreciate and, uh, and, and, and it, it builds you up, it builds you up stronger, right? If you haven't, if Tiger didn't go through what he went through, heck, maybe he wouldn't have got back to the top because he wouldn't have had to fight as hard. I, I have no idea, but that journey definitely toughens you up a lot. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And a lot of times our heroes, they know great struggle and have come from the depths of a dark place and it shows everyone that it can be done. I love that. Epictetus said that every mischance in life was an opportunity to behave well. Every mischance in life is an opportunity to learn something and your duty is not to be submerged in self-pity, but to utilize the terrible blow in a constructive fashion. And uh, I'm a big fan of that quote. But yeah, even if the struggle is self-inflicted you can set an example for somebody else so good on tiger what a comeback for sure i mean and then and then you relate it right to business right and you read someone like yours blog and you went through similar things i think there might be a cop driving by i don't know if you can hear that siren in the background I do. but um yeah that's another way you can compare the two the sports and the entrepreneurship is someone like you who goes through the childhood and, and the growth that you went through and are able to climb up the quote unquote you know mountain of entrepreneurship or financial freedom or whatever you want to call it it's the exact same thing right because i'm sure that the drive and the determination that you've shown over the years that we like tiger will never know what went on late at night on weekends when other people were out, you know, having fun, partying, spending all their money. Um, but, but because of what you had went through, it set you on a certain path and gave you certain motivations and desires. And uh, that has shaped who you are. And that is, I think, probably paid, um, not paid, but has been part of making you who you are and what you've accomplished. I, I don't know if you'd agree with that or not, but that's kind of my, uh, opinion from from where I can view it yeah I think you said that well once you go through the depths of a dark place you come out of it with sort of like a Teflon armor um, to where at least in my case I I feel like I can mostly transcend emotional and psychological pain because of what I went through as a kid and so the earlier you go through some struggle like that uh, the better off you'll be and sometimes I feel sorry for those who haven't had to face undue hardships because they're going to have a tougher time throughout their lives. So, yeah, I think you said that well. Um, I want to get into your background a little bit, if that's all right. So you're a very driven yeah. guy. Where does, your, where does your drive to succeed come from? Yeah, I, I think it's kind of ironic considering what we just talked about because I actually had a very good childhood, very, very good upbringing. I was very privileged. I had a great. I have. I have still a great family, a great friend group, great support group. Uh, played sports competitively, and I always did well in school. I just kind of got it and was willing to put in the work. And uh, growing up, I read a lot, mostly fiction. Actually, I read you know all the kids' stuff, the fantasy stuff, the Harry Potter's, Lord of the Rings. I just loved it. Loved the the computer games that that went along with it. And that's kind of just what I busied myself with was sports and 
with buddies or sports and leagues and school and reading and stuff. I remember having this leather chair in my home when we were growing up. We lived there until I think it was 14 or 15. And we had this big leather chair in the basement and it was really comfortable. And I remember finally convincing my parents to allow me to move it into my room so I can sit in my room and read at night. And man, I mean, you and I can talk about this for hours, but how important reading can be, whether it's fiction or nonfiction. I think in today's world, people kind of overlook fiction. And I love nonfiction. I'm a big nonfiction reader, especially now. But fiction was really great for me growing up because you can still learn a lot of the nonfiction lessons, but through story and through imagination and through these things that you wouldn't think of, it helped open my mind up a little bit. I, I would say I'm not the most creative person, especially when it comes to artsy things and design, but reading fiction kind of helped open up my mind a little bit in that regard. And then of course, you know, you go to school and you have to learn arithmetic and science and this, that, and the other, and there's no creativity whatsoever, even in English class. And uh, that was kind of the outlet for realizing what else was out there. I did plenty of university. I did an undergraduate. I got a BCom. I was always interested in business. I kind of always knew that I wanted to take business in undergrad. And I always knew that I wanted to be a lawyer. And I can't really pinpoint one moment when I decided because I just always wanted to be. I think it was probably a mix of the way lawyers are portrayed in, in the media and knowing that I wanted a mentally stimulating profession and just being good at school, it just kind of made sense. Oh, I'm going to go get a BCom and then I'm going to go be a lawyer. I could never, I could never relate to the people who didn't know what they wanted to do or who didn't know what major to take because for some reason I always knew and I can, I fully appreciate why a lot of people wouldn't, but I got very lucky because I always knew. So Man, you are lucky. I, I think the norm <laughs> is for people even beyond college to have no clue what they want to do with their lives. So yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I, I think I'm so lucky, and now it's kind of ironic too because I've been a lawyer for a few years, and now I'm dipping my toe into this solopreneur grind stuff, more of the business kind of behind this digital marketing stuff, and that's really interesting to me. So I think I've started out my career as a lawyer. I don't think I'll end my career as a lawyer, but you know, people like you and me tend to bump around a lot and we try something for a few years and it's fun and you do well. And then you're looking for your next challenge and, and the next thing to tackle. So who knows, who knows where we'll end up? You know, that's the fun part. Yeah, you're right. It sounds like you have insatiable curiosities like I do. Yeah, I think that's, I think you'll find with a lot of entrepreneurs that that's part of it because you just want to try stuff and and when you get something in your head that you really believe in or you're motivated by nothing else really matters as much and having to answer to someone else or do what someone else tells you to do or wait for someone else to hand you a paycheck all of a sudden just seems like the worst thing in the world so uh i i think that you'll find a lot of entrepreneurs tend to be very curiosity driven type people at, at least the ones that i've spoken to yeah so i know you started solopreneur grind but did you also start your own law firm yeah so 
about a year and a half ago, I was given a really cool opportunity. I've been really lucky. I, I, I was given a really cool opportunity to essentially start my own law firm under the guidance of a much older lawyer. I'm in a very niche uh, part of the law. So I do corporate immigration law, helping Canadian companies uh, hire and sponsor foreign tech workers. It's about as niche as you can get in, in that area of the law, which I think is really important. I talk about this a lot on Solopreneur Grind, about how important niching down is, uh, especially if you're by yourself or if you're just getting started for the first time. And it's been a year and a half, and it's it's gone quite well. Obviously, the beginning was very slow, but now things are going well. I'm very comfortable. I'm, I'm pretty happy where finances are. And it's been great not having to put on a suit and go step into someone else's office every day and do whatever work they want me to do, especially in a profession like law where it's not really a nine to five profession, right? So it doesn't matter what it says in the contract, ironic, because lawyers write the contracts, but you find me a, a lawyer working at a decent sized firm working nine to five and, and, you know, sign me up. But, uh, so I figured if I'm going to be doing this whole law thing and working super hard, then I'd rather kind of fuse that with entrepreneurship and, and do it myself and kind of reap the financial rewards of the extra work that I'm doing. And because of my interest in business, I mean, I do I have the BCom, I've always been interested in business. It was the perfect combination of the two, right? Merging law with running your own firm, you're effectively, I mean, you're running your own business. That's what it is. So we're, we're closing in on two years, actually. And it's been a it's been a really cool ride, a lot of ups and downs as, as most company uh, histories have, but it, it's been a lot of fun and probably the best learning experience of my life to date. That's cool. Yeah, I think the future belongs to those who can control their attention and stack their, sills, their skill sets in unique ways, and you are doing that. I'm curious, though, how do you manage your time? Because young lawyers... Young lawyers are known for putting in a lot of hours, and you not only have your own law firm, but you started Solopreneur Grind to help entrepreneurs. How, how do you manage it all? Can you kind of walk me through your day? Like, how much sleep do you get? Uh, do you commute to work? You know, how does that, how does that work? Yeah, so I get eight hours, well, except last night, I didn't get eight hours of sleep. I aim to get eight hours of sleep a day. I'd say five to six nights out of the week. I get eight hours a day and I make that a priority because if I don't, then I start to feel it in the afternoon and it affects my work. Mm -hmm. So the question that I try to answer almost every day, this is what I think, Brad, is probably the hardest thing about entrepreneurship that doesn't actually get talked about too much, which I talk about a lot on Solopreneur Grind, which is how do you spend every minute of your day, which is why I love your question, because as an entrepreneur, you can, technically speaking, do anything at any one given moment in time. And I don't just mean within your business, right? So should you be working on marketing? Should you be working on sales? Should I be doing client work? Should I do my bookkeeping for the month? Should I update my website? There's a million things you could be doing there. But then the other part of it is, should you even be working? How much should you sleep? How many times a week are you going to work out? Are you going to cook dinner? Well, that's how long is that going to take? Ordering in is a lot quicker, but it's also not as healthy for you. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So there are a million variables, heck, maybe more. I don't know. So I think the hardest thing is to manage your day. So 
I get eight hours of sleep because I know that if I get eight hours of sleep, the other 16 will be much more efficient, which I think is more important or pretty damn important. I had hockey late last night and I didn't, I could have slept in another hour, but I have a really busy day. So today I, 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 I think I just got a hair under seven hours, but that's okay. Once in a while, you got to suck it up. I wake up every morning and I have a bit of a morning routine. It takes me about an hour. I do some stretch, some light stretching. I do meditation for about 10 minutes. I do four days a week a workout in my apartment. You know, just body weight stuff. If I have a pull-up bar, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Put the coffee on. I started taking cold showers in the morning. One of my uh, Instagram listeners, I, I, I posted a few weeks ago, asking, basically listing what my morning routine was and asking others what theirs was. And one of my followers said, you should start taking cold showers. Or no, you know what? I think he just said cold showers. And I commented, you know, asking him about it. And he said, it was really hard at first, but it's really good for you. And I love it now. I looked into it a little bit and was like, I'm going to try this. So I started taking like a one minute cold shower after my workout. It sucks at first, but if you ease into it, you actually come out feeling great. And there's all these, you know, reports and stuff saying how good it is for the cold exposure, gives you energy, et cetera, et cetera. I'm by no means a scientist, but I I really like that. Then what I do is I have a, a content kind of routine every morning for solopreneur grind. So I try to get to work on my firm stuff by 9am. And I want to get solopreneur grind content out before then. So what I do is at 830, I record what's called the SG daily, the solopreneur grind daily vlog, I re- I'd go live on YouTube for like five, seven minutes. And I record the audio at the exact same time. And it goes out as a podcast. And then I follow that up with based on what I talk about, I'll write an Instagram post based on the content I've talked about that morning. I post it all by nine o'clock. I hit my email for my, my law firm. In, in my line of work, it's very, very reliant on email, a lot of client communication. So I usually wake up and I don't know about you, but I'm pretty OCD with my inbox. I'm an inbox zero type guy. Mm-hmm. So first thing I do is I wake up, I go through all my email and I map out what my to-do list is for the day. I keep a running to-do list by hand and uh, shifting things around, you know, what's what's the highest priority, what needs to get done in what order. I have all of my events planned on my Google calendar and I just kind of go through the priority list and, and until usually, I don't know how specific you want me to get, but usually I go till around 4, 4.30 and then I take a power nap, about a 22-minute power nap. Again, I've done some research on that. I'm very good at falling asleep. And from the research and from my anecdotal evidence, I've found that if I take a 20 to 25-minute nap, max 25, today I'll probably be 25 because I didn't get as much sleep last night. But if I take a 20 to 25-minute nap, it doesn't matter how tired my brain is or my body is, I'll be good to get me to bedtime. So instead of drudging from 3 to 6 p.m., you know, working not as effectively as I probably could be, I take a 22-minute nap, I wake up refreshed, I have a snack, maybe a shake or something like that. I make, usually most nights I cook dinner uh, in an effort to, you know, eat healthier, know what's going into my body and save money. 
And then if I have to, I'll spend another hour or two doing work or I'll, you know, go on a date or I'll read. A lot of times I, I find myself reading. Uh, well, I read before bed every night, but if I have no other plans and it's 7, 8 p.m. and I'm, I'm kind of done with work for the day, I'll just read for an extra hour. My rule has now been by 9.30 that electronics are off. So no matter what, I'm, I'm off my laptop and I start to read and get ready for bed. And by 11 p.m., the, uh, the lights are off. And because I've kind of wound down from the technology, I try to have the phone on airplane mode by 10.15, 10.30. And then the last 20, 30 minutes of my day are just me reading a book. And then I'm out cold, especially if you have a busy day and, and you're still reading and, and you don't have any blue light in your face. Then I, I'm out like a lamp by 11 p.m. And, and up at 7 a.m. the next morning to start all over again. That's good. I wanted details because I think it's helpful for people to know the daily routines of high achievers. And I, I also think that people tend to like people like themselves. I, um, mm -hmm. amazingly, I take 22 to 25 minute naps too. Um, oh, very cool. Yeah. So my wife laughs at me, but I'm like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to take a 23 minute nap and <laughs> she rolls her eyes or whatever. But yeah, I, I got that from a little research too. And I've found that if you do more than 30 minutes, you will wake up sluggish. So it's yep. purely like a performance enhancer and um, it shouldn't be so frowned upon in our society, but um, yeah, it, it's so, it's so good for productivity. Um, I also meditate for 10 minutes in the morning and <laughs> I also take cold showers. So oh, as yeah? As, yeah, as long as I, sh is, if I shower in the morning, I will take a cold one and I shower in the morning, probably 80 to 90% of the time. Um, but yeah, I, I've learned to love it. And the way that I learned to love it was I went to um, Budapest and they have what's called the Gellert Baths there. And they've been there for like 600 years. And you can go in there and you can get, um, you can get into really hot water, which is from the hot springs. And then you can um, take a freezing cold shower and they have freezing mm. cold tubs to get into. And I take my clients there because I have this travel services company. And they felt goofy at first because you have to wear the headgear and these little bathing suits. But when we right. left there, they felt amazing. And it was like the best part of going to Budapest. So I became a big fan of it then. And I've been doing it ever since. But yeah, it's great, man. It's, it's part of like what we talked about earlier. When you go through the struggle, you, you come out of it feeling like you can do anything. <laughs> and uh, um, taking a cold shower is like a little microcosm of that. Yeah, exactly. And, and they say that going from the hot to the cold and back and forth is supposed to be really good for you, too. So that, that bath place sounds like it'd be awesome. Yeah, it is, man. You should check it out. If you ever get a chance to go to Budapest, um, highly recommend the Gellert Baths. Um, in my last blog post called Digital Communication Etiquette 2019, I mentioned that I don't get notifications on my phone. How do you keep from getting distracted during the day and accomplishing what you want to accomplish? That's a great question and a daily struggle, Brad. Um, that's a good question. So I do get notifications for most things on my phone, but not all. So I get notifications for texts, calls, and WhatsApp messages. But I will say that I'm constantly rotating throughout the day between vibrate and silent mode on my phone. Mm -hmm. So 
Uh, well, so another thing to note is I don't get Instagram notifications. I don't get Facebook message notifications. I don't get email notifications. Not that that matters because my email is open always on my laptop and I'm always on my laptop. Mm-hmm. But based on the type of work I'm doing and, and how productive I have to be kind of determines whether my notifications are on vibrate or not, as well as whether I will, you know, how often and whether I will check my phone. So I might get a call at 10 a.m. in the morning and and pick it up, depending on who it is. Maybe it's a big client or something like that. It's, you know, I'm waiting to hear from the bank, whatever. Or maybe it's 10 a.m. and I'm getting a call from an unknown number or someone I know I can call back later and I'm in the middle of something busy. And the question kind of is, what are the switching costs here? And I talk about this on some of my content as well, which is, I definitely get interrupted throughout the day and sometimes I I will take a call or I will check text or whatever. But the question is how important is what you're doing and what are the costs it'll take to switch and then switch back? So a lot of what a lot of people might not realize is, well, you go check your text. Oh, I'll just check this one text and send a quick response. It'll be 25 seconds. Now, whether it will be 25 seconds or not is a whole other question because you could go down the rabbit hole of, oh, I'm just going to check Facebook. Oh, I'm just going to check Instagram. But the other part is even if you do check the text and it takes you 10 seconds to respond and then you go back to your laptop and in your brain, it's like, okay, well, oh, what am I doing now? Where was I? What paragraph was I on? In, in my scenario, you know, I'm, I'm reviewing a client file. Where was I? Well, do I remember the first part of the review I did? Because that might, might be related to the second part. So losing your spot basically is, is how you can kind of put it in layman's terms, I guess, and how quickly you can get back to it and in the same frame of mind. So I try to not check anything while I'm doing tasks in the sense of I will take breaks in between tasks or after X amount of time to check those notifications, to check, you know, Instagram, whatever, stuff like that. So it kind of depends. I would say it'll depend on the type of work you do. For the type of work I do for my firm, it's either a lot of email or, you know, file preparation, file review, I'm submitting applications. So if I'm in the middle of an application, let's say I need an hour, then I'm not going to check for an hour. Or if it's going to take me two hours, after 45 minutes or an hour, I'll take a, a set aside break of five, 10 minutes and say, okay, now I can divulge this, you know, OCD of notification checking and get that all out of my system and then go back to work. But man, it's, it's tough, right? Cause like, like anything in business, there's no hard rules. You got to find out what works best for you based on the type of person you are, based on the type of work you do and how much you can trust yourself, right? I trust, I can leave my phone on vibrate and get texts and calls because I I trust myself and I kind of have to, because if you let yourself go down the rabbit hole all the time and you don't get anything done, you're not going to see results. So keep an eye on your results. If your results, if you're running your own company and the revenues aren't increasing, then you got to look inside or look at you or look at what you're doing and look at your habits and ask, am I as effective, as efficient as possible day in and day out? Yeah, that is so true, man. I, it, it is profession dependent or occupation dependent mm-hmm. um, because it, it's impossible to do deep work if you're constantly distracted but maybe you have a job that doesn't require deep work mm-hmm. for anyone who is struggling to control their attention there is a book called deep work by cal newport that is excellent and 
interestingly enough, his next book was called So Good They Can't Ignore You. And my thinking mm -hmm. is that if you're ever going to be so good they can't ignore you, you need to first learn to do deep work. <laughs> so, right. um, But I think one of the reasons that meditation has become in vogue and so widely practiced is because we do live in a distracted world nowadays. And one of the things that meditation helps you with is controlling your attention. So uh, what, what have you found to be the biggest benefit from your meditation practice? I, I think there's two, two big benefits for me are falling asleep because I've always been a good sleeper, but when things were really busy with my business, then I found it hard to shut off my brain at night. Mm -hmm. And so number one, falling asleep, I guess number one is really a result of number two, which is, I want to say more control of my mind or more able to relax my mind. Mm. So not get overwhelmed when there's a hundred things going on. I can just, I can relax a little bit better. I can organize my thoughts better, or I can realize, Hey, I've, I've got this all under control. Yes, I have a lot to do, but I'm going to get to it. I have it all marked down. It's in my to-do list. I've done it before, you know, blah, blah, blah. You don't have to, you don't have to stress. I found for the first year, let's say of my business, it was a lot going on and a lot of stress and a lot of worry and all these notifications going off. And that was all just running around crazy in my head. Mm -hmm. And it was hard to shut it off at night. Like I said, it was hard to keep it organized. It was hard to focus on one important task, knowing I had six others to do that day. Whereas now the last few months, I started meditating probably about six months ago. And I almost feel like my internal dialogue is like a different person in the sense that it's a lot quieter, it's a lot more at peace. I'm not as emotionally affected by things, you know, not getting super nervous or super stressed about things. I think part of that is just growing your business, becoming more confident and, and having more successes in life. But part of that too is I do 10 minutes in the morning and I forgot to mention, I usually do 10 minutes at night before I get into bed and start reading. I'll do 10 minutes of meditation and that helps my reading because then I'm more focused on the reading and I'm not thinking about all the things I have to do tomorrow or that I messed up today or, or forgot to do or did well or did not do well or I'm excited about. So, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'd love to hear about, I, I know part of how it's benefited you, Brad, because I read your stuff, but it's been so powerful and, and I can't stress it enough, especially like you said, in a world full of notifications and things fighting for our attention. Yeah. Yeah. I have written an article called 10 things that I learned from meditation. Um, but I can say quickly that it helps with my present state awareness. Um, mm -hmm. I'm interested to hear you say that it helps your reading. I have not tried it prior to a, let's say an hour long session of reading, but I will try that. That sounds interesting. Um, I highly, highly recommend it. Cause I found that I would get into bed and read. And for the first 10 minutes, I wasn't consuming it I wasn't remembering what I was reading because my mind was racing while I was reading. Yeah. So that's when I added the additional 10 minutes at night before reading. And it's, it's been a world of a difference. Yeah. And it helps with the racing mind. You're right. That, I mean, that's good stuff. It helps with my ability to observe my thoughts and what's going on in my own mind. So organization of thoughts um, with a consistent meditation practice you realize that you are not your thoughts. And this is going to sound kind of hoity-toity to people who have never meditated. Um, 
but you're not your thoughts as, as much as you are experiencing your thoughts. And through mindfulness and emotional control, I find that the tempo of life is slowed down. And, and I know some of that has to do with my lifestyle. But time, we, we all experience time in a different way. And if you've never meditated, I highly recommend trying it just to see if it doesn't affect your thoughts or slow your racing mind or help you with present state awareness. Even learning to be more present state aware slows time a bit. And we all complain as we get older that time tends to speed up, but there are ways to change your perception of mind, uh, of, of time, and I, and I think meditation can help with that. So, yeah, that's a, that's a good discussion. I want to switch yeah. gears to uh, the money side of life because, as you know, we talk a lot about financial independence on this podcast, and I joined what is known as the FIRE crowd a few years ago. FIRE is the acronym for Financial Independence Retire Early. Um, but I'm curious, what are your ideas on the thought of FIRE? I'm sure you, you've researched it a little bit. Do you have any thoughts on, on financial independence, retire early? Yeah, it sounds awesome. <laughs> I, I hope to join one day. I, I'm part of the FIRE subreddit on Reddit. So I've read a lot about it. I mean, who, who wouldn't be? You get to retire early and, and you know not have to worry about money. Now, I like you, I know even if I am to retire early, that doesn't mean I'm just going to go play golf six times a week and that's it, especially if it's in my 30s because still a lot of a lot of extra time to do a lot of fun stuff, although I'm excited to hopefully be able to golf, you know, whenever I want one day. <laughs> but, I mean, it, it's, it's the ultimate goal, right, is to build up, whether it be businesses, real estate, whatever assets you choose that can create you know, even if it's just a, a savings account with, with mutual funds, index funds, whatever it may be, is enough passive income so you don't have to worry about creating more of it. So the way I look at it is it, it's the key to, to really explore and, and do whatever you want in life. If you want to go travel, if you want to start a new business, if you want to spend a month doing absolutely nothing but reading and meditating. I'd love to one day, you know, go on one of those silent retreats or some of those meditation retreats. I don't know how many hours I could meditate in a day, but that's another discussion. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, my ultimate focus is to save enough money so that I don't have to worry about making more of it. And, uh, you know, that kind of pass, I mean, passive income is talked about a lot these days and, you know, in good ways and bad, but, um, through things like real estate index funds, cash flow businesses, uh, you can make a lot of savings and create enough passive income where, yeah, hopefully I can, I can fire as, as early as possible because not just to be quote unquote retired, but just to be able to wake up and do anything it is that you want. Whereas right now I have to pay rent, right? I, I choose not to eat out at restaurants very often because that's just cutting into my savings every month. Um, I don't have a car partially because I really don't need one living in downtown Toronto. But if I had unlimited money, it would be great to have a car, you know, to not have to think twice about that kind of stuff. So uh, fire is definitely a goal. I, you know, respect it. I like the idea of it and, uh, you know, hope to, hope to join you in the crew one day. Cool. I, th I think you will. 
Um, I like what you said. If you have the discipline and fire inside to retire early, you're not going to be content to, to play golf six days a week. <laughs> you're right. Mm-hmm. But the beauty of fire is time wealth. It's freedom from bad bosses or an alarm clock or whatever it is that you really would like to get rid of in your life. And then, um, yeah, if, if you're the type, if you're curious, you know, intellectual stimulation doesn't cost much. And I'm also mm-hmm. into fitness and, and those two activities, whether it's reading and writing or three activities, reading, writing, fitness. Um, yeah, they, they don't cost much at all. So if you keep your expenses low and you have the passive income, what ends up happening though, is that you, you start to earn income almost as a byproduct of enjoying what you're doing. So we do, mm-hmm. my wife and I do have earned income, but yeah, we try to live off of a percentage of the passive income and old, old habits die hard. So we still end up saving uh, quite a bit of money. So, right. yeah. Are you a disciplined saver and investor? I'm a very disciplined saver and investor. I don't, <clears throat> I don't often like to toot my own horn, yeah. but I'm, I'm very bad at spending money. I think that's a better way to put it. I'm not a great saver. I'm a terrible spender. And so, which works out great, right? So, you know, I still live with a roommate. I eat out very rarely. I I buy groceries. I cook my own food. I was telling you before the show, I just bought a new microphone to help improve the quality of my podcast, but I'm really not good at making upgrades like that. I don't buy myself stuff. I don't really buy clothes even. I have good enough clothes. So why buy new clothes if I have enough and it's in good condition? And I try to put as much away into my tax-free savings account as possible. We have different names for it up in Canada. I know in the U.S. it's you know IRAs and your Roth accounts and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. In Canada, we have our tax-free savings account and our RRSP, Registered Retirement Savings Plan. So, yeah, that I, I like to save. I don't like to spend much. I think that I can definitely relate to what you said with the old habits die hard, because even if I were to fire tomorrow with, you know, a much higher magical income, it would feel really weird. And I don't even know if I'd be able to shift my spending habits just because it's part of who I am. So I'm, I'm kind of interested to see how that may change. But uh, I mean, that's one thing you see a lot of younger to mid-range people going out buying cars you know buying this and that that they maybe can't afford i I do like to travel when i can so i i definitely fall into the mentality of you know spend your money on experiences i still don't probably do that as much anymore i traveled more you know during the summers when i was in school and stuff like that but what i'm saving for right now is i'm hoping to spend next winter digital nomading. And that's why I mentioned on your Facebook post the other day that I'm going to be asking you for recommendations in a few months, because I want to avoid the Canadian winter and be able to work remotely, you know, next December to March type thing, which if done right, I can actually save money because my cost of living would be much lower than than living up here. So that's cool. Yeah, I'll have a lot of recommendations for you. <laughs> so just Great. let me know. Um, your saving and investing habits are impressive because very often young doctors and lawyers fall into the trap of buying a car to match the prestige of their new title. And you don't even have a car. So that's pretty cool. Or they buy their dream house, you know, after, t- you know, two years out of law school or medical school. Um, so yeah, that you can put the reins on yourself. That, that's pretty impressive. I'm the same way when I used to have months where I would get big commission checks, I would have to force myself to 
spend 20% of it because part of life is living. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you need to enjoy money that you have. It's not all saving and investing. So yeah, I kind of had to force myself, which I know is a beautiful first world problem to have. (laughs) Um, But there are going to be some people who listen to this podcast that are in similar situations to what you are. Um, One of my good buddies is an attorney who is is investing in real estate outside of his law practice because he like you wants to retire early from from law Mm -hmm. which leads me to my next question would you would you recommend a young person who is considering law school would you recommend law to them i would say to definitely do your research and and make sure that you, you don't want to become a lawyer because it looks cool on suits. I don't know if you ever saw the, sh- the show Suits. I did, but yes. Yeah, which, I mean, I watched the first few seasons. The, the first season was amazing, but I digress. It, it's, it's completely unrealistic, right? So make sure, I think there's two parts of it. One part is make sure, do some due diligence, talk to some family, family members who are lawyers, and make sure that it's something that you really want to do. Mm-hmm. Because like anything in life, if, if it's really not something that you can see yourself doing over a long period of time, it's probably not going to end that well. The second thing I'll say is that I don't want to be a lawyer forever, but I really value having the legal degree mm-hmm. and having the experiences that I've had because you learn a lot um, I'm trying. I'm trying to put this into words that kind of make the most sense. Learning the law is very interesting in the sense that you get to understand how and why society operates the way it does, right? Because you go to law school, you don't just learn the current laws. You learn about how they started. What were they initially back in the 1800s, and how they evolved in different areas. So criminal, torts, you know, bankruptcy, all these different areas, and grudging through all those readings isn't so fun at the time, but you come out of it with a really great understanding of how and why the world works the way it does. Mm. I almost think of it like, like it's a bit of a leg up in that sense. And then you go out and, you know, maybe you get a ticket or someone gets a ticket or your friend going through a divorce or, you know, all this stuff comes up and you have a little bit of an advantage because you know a little bit, or at least you know where to start to find out more of, more about it. Yeah. So it's really valuable in that sense. And then when you relate it to business and entrepreneurship, I mean, everyone, at least in Canada, I don't know how it works in the States, but you have to take some basic corporate law classes. And I happen to take a few extra because I'm interested in the corporate side. And you learn how to how to start a business, not how to functionally start a business, how to open a corporation, what the laws are, directors and shareholder agreements and all this stuff that's so practical. I mean, I didn't spend a dollar on, on, I incorporated my firm and I've helped other startups. I've co-founded a startup where we didn't have to pay a dollar because I just incorporated the stuff for us. So you learn all these little things that really help. And what it mostly teaches you is how to think and how to figure out the holes that you may not have learned in law school. So I don't know much about family law, but if you had a question because you were going through a divorce, let's say, God forbid, but I'm saying like anyone, you know, or a a bankruptcy, again, God forbid, these 
usually need lawyers in, in bad situations. But if a friend was going through any of this stuff, I would at the very least know where to look or know where to point them. So it's, it's extremely valuable. And the last point, uh, I'm sorry for rambling here, Brad, but I think it's important is grad school was really important in helping me grow up. So when I graduated undergrad at 22, I think I was still pretty naive. I was pretty, you know, young, immature, not, not, not immature in a, in a goofy way, but just not ready to enter the workforce yet. And those extra three years gave me a lot of time to learn, grow, realize the type of person I wanted to be, and a whole bunch of other just interesting things that I don't think I would have got if I was forced into the workplace at the age of 22. Keep in mind, I'm very lucky that um, my parents helped me for a, you know, a good chunk of the tuition. So uh, I only I had very, very little student debt coming out of it. So some people, it's harder to go into grad school. But I would say that I, I really benefited not just from the law degree, but just grad school in general, I, I enjoyed that experience. That's cool, man. Um, yeah, you, that you've got such a valuable talent stack. You've learned, uh, I like what you said, you learned how the how the world works the way it does or why it works the way it does. You learned how to think. You're obviously well-spoken. You know how to start a business, reading comprehension, how to argue, I'm sure is something that you do well. Uh, yeah, man, that's, that's, that's good stuff. Um, I'm going to ask you some random questions to switch gears here because I know that you are an eligible bachelor, correct? <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> and you and I have had many conversations about that kind of thing, but there may be a dame out there listening who's intrigued. You never know, right? So are you ready for some questions? I'm ready. All right. By what age do you think you'll be married? I've been thinking about that a lot, Brad. I, geez, that's a tough one. I have no idea. I'm 28 <laughs> right now. I would like to think by 35, but I, I have no idea. If I'm being honest, I don't have a clue. Does the idea of someday having a family impact your mindset and goals today? It motivates me, I would say, to work harder, right? Because if you want to start and grow a family, I want to start and grow a family and and raise children with who have as many good opportunities as I had growing up, which means a certain level of financials, right? To allow them to go to a good school, to allow them to never go hungry, to, you know, be able to buy them presents and stuff on holidays and heck, whenever I feel like it, and sign them up for competitive sports, take them on trips, all that good stuff. So really what it does is, it motivates me to try and, and work hard now while I don't have a family, while I don't have a wife, while I don't have a mortgage to build, build businesses, grow assets, increase my income so that, you know, when I meet the right girl, when I ultimately settle down, when I do have kids that I'm in a really good position financially so that I can look after us. I, I want to be someone who can support himself and his entire family by himself. So definitely a, a big motivation. That's cool. Yeah, I was inspired the same way. Um, and I've read that once you do have a family or, or a wife and you look back, you're going to realize that you you had so much time before that you didn't realize. <laughs> so right. knowing that you can 
you can use your high energy to maximize the time that you have now. Um, yeah, so I like that. When For you're sure. old, what story from your 30s do you hope to tell your grandkids? Ooh, what story from my 30s? Are you 30 yet? I'm 28. 28. Okay, so what story from your 30s do you hope to tell your grandkids about? The question I've never been asked or seen before, and I listen to a lot of podcasts. <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, I hope to be able to tell my grandkids about how the family started. Mm. You know how I how I met how I met your mother or how I met your grandmother, um, and how I was able to to do the the things that I did to build the finances that I was able to. Not that I want to brag about, hey, this is how I made money, but be able to tell them about the struggles and the fun experiences that I went through, trying new things, building businesses, going on trips. You know, the experiences. Tell, telling them about the fun experiences. Yeah, and and I guess that kind of leads me to saying I want to create a lot of really great experiences in my 30s around business, around money, around family, around friendships, around sports. I, I still play sports in, in men's leagues. Mm -hmm. um, so just, you know, be able to inspire them and, and teach them, teach them as well. That's beautiful. I'm going to ask you some quick questions because I know you've got a hard stop. Do you have a favorite biography? Richard Branson. I read it about three months ago and I think about it almost every day, not in a creepy way, as creepy <laughs> as that sounds. Cool. Whose story of entrepreneurship, and this might, you might have the same answer, but whose story of entrepreneurship inspires you the most? I think, I think probably Elon Musk right now, because not necessarily because he's the best guy or the best CEO in the world. You know, if you hear the rumors about how the staff are worked hard and stuff like that. But this is a guy who built and sold PayPal and then immediately went into some other extremely high tech, high ambition type companies and threw all of his money into it. Like, oh, this guy made over a hundred million selling PayPal mm -hmm. and reinvested all of it into these, into traveling to the to Mars and digging tunnels under California. You know what I mean? These are not like, oh, I'm going to go build a Shopify store. So the ambition, the drive, the motivation, the hard work of, of this guy, it's, it's incredible. It's incredible to see. Agreed. Do you have an app that you love that most people maybe don't use? I use for meditation. I use Insight Timer. It's free. There's obviously, you know, there's a paid version, but I've tried the headspaces and calm and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And Insight Timer has been really good. Huge database of free meditations to use in all sorts of categories. And there, you know, you can choose what feeling you want. So uh, anxiety, happiness, confidence. And then you can sort by, you know, 10 to 15 minutes, 15 to 25 minutes, and, and it's all free. And I'm probably going to upgrade soon just because of how much I love the app and how great it is. Mm -hmm. But uh, that's what I recommend for uh, for meditation. Otherwise, I don't use much funky stuff. I, I stick to the basics. That would probably be my go-to right now. Okay, good stuff. I use Headspace and have for a long time, but my membership just expired. So I'm looking for another one. So I'll check out Insight, Insight Timer.
It's good stuff. Mm -hmm. Aside from Man Overseas <laughs> and Solopreneur Grind, do you have a favorite podcast? Uh, you know what? I'm going to exclude Tim Ferriss too because <laughs> that'll probably be your answer. And most people that I, that I talk to, that'll be their answer, at least high achievers. Um, so aside from Man Overseas, Solopreneur Grind, and Tim Ferriss, do you have a favorite podcast? Yeah, it's, it's a little off the map, but actually my favorite podcast to listen to is the Bill Burr Monday morning podcast. Ah. He's a comedian, American comedian. He's so funny. And he goes on Monday for half an hour and he just rants. He just talks. And then he goes on Thursday and talks for about 20 minutes. And then they play like a previous episode. He's been doing it for like over 10 years. And yeah. so they'll play a previous episode from, you know, five, 10 years ago. The way he's able to just talk by himself for 30 minutes, it's and like make me cry laughing. It's unbelievable. It's so funny. At the end of a long day when I'm cooking dinner, that's usually what I have on. It's relaxing. I turn my brain off. I get entertained. I have a good laugh. Mm -hmm. And he has really inspired a lot of my content in terms of the format that I like to put it out in, kind of the casual, like. Brad, this guy turns on the mic and just talks for 30 minutes and then stops. There's no intro music. There's no outro music. He's got some sponsors now. He probably makes good money. He reads them off himself in the middle. He makes fun of them. He like makes jokes out of the advert. It's the only advertising on podcasts that I don't fast forward through. It's, it's just, it's so funny. If, if you want a podcast to kind of balance out all of the kind of businessy, you know, your brain's racing, et cetera, et cetera. I, I highly recommend uh, Bill Burr. That's good. I have listened to Bill Burr and yeah, you're right. He is hilarious. One of the reasons that he is so good is that he has been writing material for so long that he, he focuses on good writing. And I don't know if he uses a script or bullet points, but he is a huge proponent of eliminating unnecessary words. And he thinks mm -hmm. that a good joke doesn't have any excess words than what is needed. But mm -hmm. yeah, he is so talented. You're right. Um, last question. What are you most grateful for? Ooh, these are good ones, Brad. What am I most grateful for? I'm most grateful for the life I've been given. I, I've had, I have an amazing family. I have amazing friends. I grew up in a really great, quiet, city in Canada, which is an amazing country. You take away the winter weather and I'd say it's pretty much perfect. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've been, I'm, uh, I, I just, I'm so thankful for where and where and how I was born, which family I was born into my parents, my grandparents, and, you know, just the talents that I've been born with, some of which you have to train and, and obviously you improve over time. But I, I think I really lucked out. I really lucked out in all aspects of life. So I'm, I'm really grateful for that. And sometimes you forget that stuff. And so especially when you're going through tough times, you're trying to grow a business, et cetera. So don't, for, don't forget the good stuff. That's another reason meditation has really helped is it, it kind of makes you remember that stuff too and, and appreciate it. So That's yeah. That's a great answer. That is a great answer. The life I've been given. I love that. Mm -hmm. Let's wrap there, man. This was so good. I'm sure my listening audience got as much from this discussion as I did. So I know that you're very active online. How do people find you? Yeah. So 
Instagram at Solopreneur Grind, the, the website. I mean, you can just find me at Solopreneur Grind anywhere. The website is solopreneurgrind.com, which will link to my podcast. I do daily vlogs. You can join my email list. On the email list, I'll send you, I send three emails a week with everything you need to know about me. And uh, yeah, at Solopreneur Grind, Instagram, website, and uh, the email list are, are probably the best bets. Very good. We'll look for you. Thank you for being on the podcast, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, Brad. And uh, yeah, it was great to be on. And we'll talk soon. We will talk soon. I'll take us out. Listeners, thank you for joining us. It means a lot to me that you've taken the time. Um, if you enjoy the Man Overseas podcast, please hit the subscribe button on iTunes. Also, you can subscribe to the blog, manoverseas.com, if you're not already. My Instagram and Twitter is at man underscore overseas. Thank you, folks. Thank you.